Thank you. <clears throat> Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us, um, Vanessa and I, up here this morning. It's great. We just came in this morning just with a, I don't know, just felt different um, up here. And um, it's always been good, but this, mo- this morning just has a sense of life and expectancy. And, you know, we're having a, such a party over there with morning tea and connecting up with people. And uh, it's great. It's so good to be here. You know, on the way up this morning, we had these funny little dots appear on the windscreen of the car, and I'm thinking, what the heck is that? (laughs) But isn't it great to see the rain? Yeah, it's really good. Anyway, it's really good to be here, and um, it's a joy, actually, to be here. So, um, I know, you know, we're kind of well into, well, we've started into 2019 pretty well already, and I can't believe it's, it's already February. Um, but I don't know if this happens to you at the beginning of the year, but um, I get all these prophecies come through, um, you know, prophetic words from people locally, around the world, and, and um, all different kinds of words of, of what 2019 is going to bring and what it's going to be like. And, and I think, God, how come they're all, you know, really different words for the same year? And, and I just think, well, you know, God is multidimensional, isn't he? He's multifaceted. And uh, he speaks to us all in different ways, and and um, you know, so I just I just think it's great, and I love the words that come. Um, but I personally, this this year, as we were coming into 2019, I really felt that God is wanting to move us into this year um, from a place of being grounded, uh, grounded in everything that we already know to be true, and not only that, to be doing it and to be walking in it. And I'd like to share with you this morning something that I believe the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me personally about, but also I believe this is a word for the church. And it, it is about, um, it's all about solid, secure, and strong foundations. And, and I guess, you know, with this church, and this may be partly the reason why I'm, you know, Venice and I are both feeling the same as we walked in this morning, this church has become established. It has a foundation now uh, and you know you're in your own place and uh, it's all set up the way that you want it and and you know that the worship team's getting established and everything else is is um, being established and, and founded and I really feel that, that that's uh, that's partly why I think I felt the way I did when I came in um, anyway so Luke 6 says whoever comes to me this is Luke 6 47 to 48 whoever comes to me and hears my sayings, and does them. That there, I've got underlined in my notes, and does them. I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. You know, it's only by the grace of God that we stand. It's only by the grace of God that we can lift our eyes to the coming year and have faith that he has already gone before us. God's grace, you know, for many this year, will open doors. Uh, it will make a way where there seems no way. Uh, and it will bring new opportunities, brand new opportunities, um, never, never seen before. And I, I particularly love the prophetic words that um, have been coming from a couple of different places saying this year is about putting into place the divine strategies uh, of God that God is going to reveal to us. So grace abounds 
in all of this newness of life. However, I've got that underlined as well. However, grace will abound and will speak to others as you face and come through the vehement storms. Vehement means forceful, aggressive, fierce and intense. And grace will cover you, it will protect you, it will strengthen you as you come through. People around you will, will see grace in action because of your ability and, your, and the grace of God for you to overcome and have victory. Whatever season you are going through, his grace will uphold you and you, as you remain grounded and founded on the rock, who is, of course, Jesus Christ. Psalm 1 verse 3 says, He shall be like a, um, the man who is planted. He shall be like a, a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You know, there, there is a theme that, um, that will run through my message this morning. And it's, it's very much about the seasons of life and about looking at the bigger picture. Not just getting caught up in our own little world all the time, but looking at the bigger picture of what God is doing. You know, we all experience seasons that are dry uh, and difficult. But when we are planted by the river, when we're grounded in the word, when we are standing on the rock of our faith, we will always come through the season. And in the end, there will be a prospering because God's word promises it. Your leaves will not wither and fall to the ground. You will not die an eternal death. Your life will bring forth its fruit in its season. And whether it's winter, spring, summer, autumn, you know, there's a reason and a timing for every season. I guess as I've, as I've matured, got older, <clears throat> you begin to see life differently. You begin to, you know, you look back and you see the seasons of life. And uh, I guess this is partly where this, is, this message has come, come from. And can I be as bold to say this morning, whatever season you are experiencing, you have to continue to be planted in the house of God. Psalm 92 verse 12 says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. Thank you, Jesus. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. So this is one of my favorite scriptures, particularly as I get older. God cares about you in your youth. He cares about you in your middle age, you know, your adulthood. But he continues to care about us as we you know, go into old age and maturity uh, and promises us freshness and faithfulness and flourishing. In fact, age really isn't the issue. It's your heart. It's your character. It's, it's, it's your submission to his calling. That's the issue. You will flourish. If it's not your season right now, don't worry. You will flourish and you will bear fruit. But you need to stay planted in the house of God. And I know I'm speaking to the converted, otherwise you wouldn't be here. Um, but I'm putting it out there. I'm putting it out there in the spirit. There are many beautiful Christians, um, people who love God passionately, that are not planted in the house of God for whatever reason, not about judging what the reason is. 
but I believe there's a call for these ones to come and be planted again. Why not come to this church and be planted here? People who are planted will grow. And if you're not planted, your leaves will wither. And I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about whether you will flourish or whether you will not flourish in life. The storms will come. Don't throw your hands up in the air and say, how come there's a storm going on? I'm a good, faithful Christian. I love God. I love Jesus. Just know that God is doing something in the storm. He's strengthening you. He's equipping you to stand. He's preparing you for your fruitful season. Because God isn't evil. He doesn't do evil. He doesn't, he doesn't cause evil. But if you will submit to him when it is tough, when you're walking through the tough times, he will turn your storm into something that blesses you beyond your imagination, beyond your comprehension. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things, all things, work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that, that he might be the firstborn among many, many brethren. So God works all things together for good if you love him, if you are called to his purposes. And he doesn't just use some things, he will use every aspect and part of your life and your experience for good. And in the process, we are conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So that's my introduction. <laughs> that's just my introduction. And it leads me into one of the greatest testimonies that can be found in the Bible. The story of Joseph. I don't know if you've had any words recently on the story of Joseph. But um, this, this story takes up a huge slab uh, of Genesis. You know, we've been given a very detailed insight into all that Joseph experienced early in his, in his life. And we need to glean as much as we can from him because it's all there for a reason. His story is, takes up so much room in the Bible for a reason. But Joseph's attitude and response to God, to his circumstances, to the people um, he found himself with, it was extraordinary. He never gave up. He never stopped trusting God. And even in the deepest pit and the, and the darkest dungeon, he didn't shrivel up and die because he was a tree planted by a river. Didn't matter where he was, he was a tree planted by a river. And when you are planted by the river of God, you can't help but flourish. And this is a massive, valuable lesson for every one of us as we launch ourselves into 2019 from a foundation of our true identity in Christ and from our position as, as standing on the rock. We know Joseph had dreams and he shared his dreams with his brothers. In Genesis 37 verse 7, he says, There we were, he's telling his brothers this, the dream he had, there we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And then in verse 9, Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers, and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars all bowed down, bowed down to me. These were God dreams. And the funny thing is, the brothers knew exactly what Joseph was saying. Uh, maybe not the fullness of it, but they recognised that they were the stars and they were the, um, the sheaves bowing down to their brother. 
and it actually didn't sit particularly well with them. Um, you know, the, the, in this story, we can't go into it all today, but there's a lot of history in this family, and it's, a lot of it's messy, and a lot, of, a lot of it is dysfunctional. But God came into the midst of it all to bring about his purposes. And right there is the key to everything. We need to be looking to bring about God's purposes. And God's purpose purposes are far bigger than you might have thought. Um, you know, and we're going to come back to that in a moment. So with Joseph being the favoured son of his father and now coming across like he's elevating himself above them all, it's all a bit too much. And his brothers plotted to kill him, or not, well, to get rid of him. Actually, they did, they did plot originally to kill him, um, and, but they did, and they did get rid of him. By the way, all of the, all of this, um, in all of this in the Bible, it never suggests that, that Joseph had pride in what he said, which is interesting. He's, he's only 17 years old, um, but he, wasn't, he was never proud, he was never arrogant. He might have been naive, but he wasn't proud and arrogant. He simply shared the dreams that he'd been given. And perhaps there might have been a lack of wisdom in that, but not pride. So we just haven't, um, we haven't got time to go into all the detail here. But instead of actually killing Joseph, the brothers uh, threw him into a pit. Then they saw some Ishmaelite uh, traders coming through and they, they sold Joseph to them uh, as a slave, into slavery. And, uh, and they, took him, they took Joseph to Egypt. They, uh, the brothers ripped off his... Uh, coat of many colours, uh, put animal blood on it, took it back to the father and said he's been killed by an animal. And uh, so it was really, really terrible plotting and deceiving and, and all of that. So Joseph ends up as a slave in Potiphar's house in Egypt. Now Potiphar is an Egyptian um, officer. He's the captain of the bodyguard. So he's very close to the, to the king or the pharaoh. And um, so he has intimate connections with the courts of Pharaoh. By now, a lot of us would be emotional wrecks. I just can't imagine how I would deal with all of this. Um, we'd, we'd be out of our mind with anxiety, separated from everything familiar, from all those that we loved, living in a totally different culture. And, you know, we'd be saying, God, how on earth did this happen? How? Why have you abandoned me? But not Joseph. I'm sure he had his moments, but this, in this environment, Joseph was getting all the training in Egyptian culture and politics for his ultimate calling. And I don't know about you, but all, all the difficult and stressful things, all the things that I've learnt uh, and went through in my previous careers, I can see how it's all positioned me and, and equipped me for what I'm doing now. Um, I feel as though... It was all undergirding my true calling, which I had no idea of at the time. Uh, I used to work for ANSET, and for some of you young people, you probably wouldn't have a clue what ANSET is, um, but it was a pretty big airline at the time. But this is about talking 100 years ago. And um, as an inexperienced, well, 40 years, like 100 years, um, as an inexperienced young man, I found myself on my own having to deal with all kinds of disgruntled people. Um, for example, I had to console angry and distraught parents whose unaccompanied children who were flying in an aircraft above us um, are so close, but because of bad weather, couldn't land, the plane couldn't land and had to turn back to Sydney. And that happened more than once. 
And imagine if you had a four-year-old child on that plane um, by themselves. I'd be distraught too. Um, but, but I had to deal with it. I had to deal with these parents. Um, I just about encountered the depth of every human response throughout my time in the travel industry. And if you've seen the, those shows on TV, the airport shows, it's exactly like that. It's exactly like that. Um, you know, people carrying on like pork chops. Honestly, that's exactly how it is. And I don't know if they still do it now, but they probably do. But back then, the airlines would deliberately overbook flights. And, you know, it might, that might be one thing when you're talking about Brisbane or Coolangatta, but when you're talking about Ballon or a casino, there aren't too many flights uh, coming in and out. Well, not back then. And most of the times, you know, there were people who, who, who didn't turn up um, because they were running late. We'd call them no-shows. And um, which is what the airlines factor in. They, they just factor in the fact, you know, there's a percentage of people won't turn up. Um, and it, it's all about money, of course. But when you have to face the fact, again, working, I was working on my own, um, I had 63 people booked in on a flight that's got 60 seats uh, on the aircraft and it's perhaps Christmas and Easter, uh, it became really interesting, really interesting. You know what, I, I actually feel a lot better sharing all of this. It's really like debriefing. Um, after 35, 40 years, it feels so good just to, just to tell the story. <laughs> which then leads me to the next part of my life, which was in counselling. And our time of counselling in Brisbane, we were confronted with some, some really hair-raising situations, threatened suicides, actual suicides, distressed marriages, extremely dysfunctional people. And these were the Christians. And I've heard uh, every word from the gutter that you could ever hear, not normally from Christians, but sometimes. But God was doing something in Venice and I through this whole period, throughout all of these years. He was training us. He was building us. He was undergirding us. And you can't shortcut that process. You just can't shortcut, shortcut some you know, things in life. Uh, and, and you can't get it through theoretical study, even though we had some of that as well. Um, all Venice's years as a registered nurse, uh, that was a big part of her preparation, uh, working in hospitals and with people. And I'm sure you could look back on your own life experiences and say the same thing. We've all been through those seasons of life. And I'm sure you, you could all look back on, yeah, on your own life and, and see that. But, but to be fair, I've never, I've never been thrown into a pit and I've never been sold into slavery. Sometimes I felt like I was a slave but actually haven't been sold into slavery. And in it all, Joseph, throughout Joseph's journey, he still prospered when these things happened because his character always shone through. He served Potiphar faithfully and Potiphar positioned him as an overseer of his house and all his possessions. And Joseph learned the ways of Egypt. You know, I've been falsely accused of a few things in the journey, but I've never had the accusations that were laid against Joseph. Potiphar's wife continually tried to seduce Joseph, but he, he remained faithful to his master with integrity, and uh, she hated him for it, and she falsely accused him of attempting to rape her. So Joseph ended up in jail. But even in jail, Joseph rose to a position of responsibility and a certain level of privilege, even in a jail. In Genesis 39:21, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. 
whatever they did, did there, it was his doing. Like, it's incredible. So you see, even in prison, Joseph ends up taking over the place. The favour of God is very real. It's very real. Joseph uh, ends up interpreting the dreams of a couple of palace workers who were in the prison at the time under his care and, and the interpretations come true. Joseph asks one of them, the chief butler, to remember him to Pharaoh. Uh, but the butler forgets. Um, God, however, hasn't forgotten a thing. God knows exactly where Joseph is. He knows exactly what's going on with his life. So when Pharaoh can't find anyone to interpret a, a strange and dis distressing dream that he has, the butler finally remembers a young Hebrew in the jail who could interpret dreams with accuracy. And we know the story. Joseph is called into the courts, interprets the dreams. His time, uh, this time he gets the position to, uh, in overseeing all of Egypt with only Pharaoh above him. What an incredible story. But it's even more incredible as redemption continues to unfold before him. And I've tried to tell that story as briefly as possible, but just highlighting those main events. Because, because of Joseph, Egypt prospers, even more so in a time of drought and famine. And all the nations around them come to Joseph to purchase grain. Joseph's brothers end up coming to buy grain for their family. They bow down before Joseph, not knowing who he really is. And they see, all they see is the ruler of a great nation. But all the dreams that Joseph had in his past all become true. And in one of the most emotional and powerful reconciliations in the Bible, Joseph's family ends up coming into Egypt, being provided for by Joseph, prospering to the extent that they become thousands upon thousands and become the nation of Israel, even within a foreign land. But get this. If Joseph hadn't been rejected by his brothers, if he hadn't been sold into slavery in Egypt, if he hadn't ended up in Potiphar's jail, or Pharaoh's jail, if he hadn't been called to the courts to interpret Pharaoh's dream, if Joseph hadn't been faithful wherever he found himself positioned, his own family would most likely have starved to death in the famine. In one of the most powerful stories of redemption, and reconciliation in the Bible. Um, this all happened because a young man's heart refused to become bitter, refused to become resentful. His godly character continually overrode his circumstances. There are such great lessons here for us. And get this, this is probably the most amazing thing of all. Not only did Joseph save millions of people's lives throughout the Middle East, if Israel had not have survived the famine, the lineage, the lineage of Christ would have been destroyed. When I had that revelation, I just thought, wow, God, you're incredible the way you do things. If Israel had not had survived the famine, the lineage of Christ would have been destroyed. So do you think God knew what he was doing? You know, we get so tunnel vision about our own little lives and how unfair some things seem to be. But oftentimes God is, he, he has generations and nations as the bigger picture. Generations and nations as the bigger picture. Finally, Joseph himself 
then understood why he had been through every experience of his life to that point. And after some extraordinary parts of the story, Joseph finally reveals who he is. In Genesis 45, verse 4, And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother. And I always get emotional (laughs) when I read this. I am Joseph, your brother, whom whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there will still be, uh, there are still five years in which there will be neither ploughing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh. How's that? God has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. This really does send shivers up my spine every time I I read this because it's such an intimate insight into such an extraordinary God-ordained story. And again in, in Genesis 50 verse 19, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am, for am I in, uh, in the place of God? It's like, you know, am I in the place of God? Of course I am. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's the crux of my story. We have evil come against us, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. The reality is, sometimes people mean evil against you. Every day, every moment of the day, the devil means evil against you. And you might find yourself struggling in some deep pit of a circumstance. Or you might find yourself betrayed and rejected by those you actually love and, and care about. You might be falsely accused, falsely judged, and it's all lies and you can't defend yourself. And you might feel like you're locked in a prison of some, some kind and nothing seems to make sense. You're confused, you're anxious. But God, but God, the evil that others or the devil himself meant to come against you, God meant it for good. In other words, he has a plan that is far smarter and far greater than any other plan and he can turn even the worst of situations into something that brings glory to his name. It's not about bringing glory to you. It's about bringing glory to his name. And in the process, you will flourish. You will prosper. You will find your season of tremendous fruitfulness. If you love God and if you choose to walk in the calling and the purpose he has for you. There's an opportunity right now, this morning, for you to climb out of the pit and walk out of your prison because those things are more in within our mind than anything else we just think that that's we've been abandoned we think we've been tossed aside by god but this, that's only because that's what we think are you going to take this opportunity to set your mind free and trust god with your life
Are you willing to believe that all things work together for good? Even if that good isn't clear right now. Let the foundations of integrity and godly character rise up within you and refuse to curl up and wither away. Plant yourself by the river and be refreshed. Because if the enemy can shift you from your foundation, if he can throw vehement streams against your house, violent, furious streams, which he will, and you're not grounded and deeply secure on the rock of Jesus, then who knows what plans might be aborted in your own life and in the lives of those coming after you throughout the generations. Joseph's response to life, to false accusations, to persecutions, to the threat of death, it all points forward to what Jesus himself went through and how he responded also. Except with Jesus, it was a hundred times worse. And if you are to be made more and more into the image of Jesus, I can understand why our lives would also be moulded and changed by the things that come against us. Let's turn our eyes now from Joseph to Jesus. Because I believe that's, it's, it's, it was, it's a setup. It's, a, it's God's telling a story about our salvation and about Jesus throughout that whole thing. It's all about redemption. It's all about reconciliation. He is our Redeemer. He is our Reconciler. He is the one who forgave us, had compassion on us, restored us, and led, leads us into a land where we would prosper, not just in immaterial ways, but to prosper in our soul. And in this season of 2019, you will prosper. You will flourish. You will be fruitful. Because it's not about your circumstances. It's about how you respond. And you know what? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us so much. You care about us so much. That, Lord, you, you, you call us, you're calling us, I believe, Lord God, to, to, to establish ourselves afresh on the foundation of who you are. That this year, you know, we, we have incredible prophetic words that are being spoken and, and, and wonderful opportunities and, you know, all these great things that are spoken of about our future. And yet, Lord God, if we don't have our foundations in place and if we're not walking in them, if we're not doing it and walking in the word, and doing the word, living it out, then all these other things become superfluous. And so, Lord, I, I thank you for the, that story of Joseph. And I thank you, Lord, how it speaks to us of, of forgiveness, of healing, of compassion, of reconciliation, restoration. Jesus, all the things that you came and gave your life for, for us. And, Lord, as I said before, some of us will just breeze through this year, the doors will open and it's all going to be great and the blessings and the favour of God are going to be poured out in abundance. But for some, that, that flourishing and that prospering will come because of the grace of God given to us to push through and walk through the difficult times. 
through the dry seasons, through the hard seasons. So Lord, help us, whatever season we're in, help us to keep our eyes upon you, to remain steadfast and solid and secure and established on the rock of our salvation, on the rock of Jesus himself. Lord, I just ask that each one of us would have that fresh revelation of who you are, of what our life is all about. And Lord, it's, it's about walking in your purposes. It's about the generations. It's about the nations. It's about things far bigger than just us living out and surviving our life. I pray upon each one here this morning that you would release each one of us into the fullness of your purposes this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.